0: Hey guys, welcome to another edition of the Inside Scoop. My name is Neil Crawford, I'm your host and also the founder of Anytime Soccer Training. If you're not familiar with the Inside Scoop, it's a podcast dedicated to helping parents learn about the soccer pathways that would be available to their child if they lived in another City around the world. But as you know, if you've been following this show, not only do we interview parents, trainers, coaches, and kids from around the world, but we also take a moment to drop some tips specifically for the parent trainer. Now, in the last few episodes, I've given my personal advice, which, oh, by the way, I do value it because if I didn't, I wouldn't do the show. But I'm only one person, my, I have two boys and I'm coming at it from one parent's perspective. So what we've decided to do is launch a series called Raising the Whole Child, okay? And that's in line with our mission here at Anytime Soccer Training, which is not only do we wanna provide world-class online training content to help children reach their full potential in soccer through supplemental training, but actually what I believe is more important is the second part of our mission, which is to provide parents with actionable takeaways that can help them support their children in a positive, not negative way. And if you spend two minutes in athletics, what you're gonna realize very quickly is the non-soccer stuff that's the hardest, right? It's anybody can do toe taps. Anybody can teach them how to do this Ronaldo chop. That's the easy part. And I know my coaches listening are probably gonna disagree with that but it's all the non-soccer stuff that's hard, right? And that's what the Raising the Whole Child uh, series is gonna be about. And now I'm so happy to say we have our first guest here and I'm gonna introduce him in a second, but I wanna really build this up. And I wanna say two, two or three more things about the series. The way we're gonna structure this series is quite simple. First, we're gonna talk to experts in the professional ranks, with dealing with professional clubs, college recruiters, college scouts, experts in the college recruiting process. We're gonna to talk to uh, recruiters and independent sort of academy directors a- abroad. We're gonna to talk to folks who are sort of at the proverbial end of the rainbow. Those are the, those are the people that sort of know and deal day in and day out with what it takes to become professional or play at the highest level collegiately receive those scholarships so that's sort of the outcome section then what we're going to do is work our way back and talk about the process so i have experts that will dig into injury prevention mental toughness the actual training of your child across the various sports but we're going to focus mainly on soccer and then helping us navigate the uh, parent-child relationship. So that's the process. But the folks at the end of the spectrum, the ones that deal with the Division One um, scholarships, you know, Division Two, the collegiate stuff, the professional stuff, they're going to give us advice on things they saw early on that they want, they wish they could have told the child or told the parent five or ten years before they started this process and that's where i think the real value add is going to be so with no further ado all right i want to welcome dave morris to the inside scoop now dave has a background in so many areas he coaches he does college he helps with college recruiting and stuff and he's founded a company that's based on this but Dave, before I butcher your title, butcher your company name, I want you to take it over and give us a little bit of, about yourself and tell us about your company and what you're currently doing now. Okay.
1: My name is Dave Morris. I am a third-generation college educator. I spent uh, 20 year, 21 years as a head women's soccer coach, also coached uh, men's collegiate soccer at the Division three level. Uh, before that, I was a high school coach, actually, uh, uh, both uh, men's, boys and girls soccer and then also basketball. So I uh, have a pretty broad sports outline. I coached youth hockey for a while. That was my initial passion. I got my start as a student assistant for Red Behrens at the University of Michigan in the hockey program. Uh, I played soccer my whole life starting at age five. So I remember my, my dad dropped me off at a field and said, hey, don't use your hands. I'll be back in an hour. And I looked at him like, "What? What is this?" <laughs> so that that was my introduction to youth soccer all those years ago. I retired about four times. I guess this is the fifth retirement. Uh, and so I founded uh, College Athletic Advisor, and I'm an educational consultant. I help uh, students and families navigate the college search process. Uh, in my business, it's really connecting uh, young people and their families with colleges where they will thrive. Right? There's a lot of services that provide. Hey, we'll get you a scholarship. And I think that's sort of the wrong question. The really the right question is what's the right school for you where you're going to fit? And that's a college that's going to make school affordable for you. I am, it's painful for me to talk to people who they're like, well, the school just offered me a $30,000 scholarship. And I'm like, great. How much of that money is going in your bank account? And they go, no, I got to pay to get that money. I go, oh, how much are you going to pay? Oh, about $25,000. Well, um, you know, that might be a great fit for you, but I'm pretty sure that if we can find a school that you really want to go to, we can probably get it at a lower cost as well. And, and then you can have a degree you're really proud of. You know, we used to talk about the broken leg test in college coaching where, you know, if you couldn't play soccer tomorrow, you stepped in a hole and your career's over, uh, you know, do you transfer or is, are you where you're supposed to be? And, and the reason colleges like working with me is that we get students to schools where they stay. The average, uh, in the NCAA, 50% of the student athletes are transferring now over four years. they're About half the kids transfer. And uh, for our clients, 0% of our clients transfer so far. Sooner or later, we'll have one. But the reality is we're working really hard to make sure it's a great match. And so since it's a great match, that relationship endures through You know maybe a student has a struggle in a class or maybe they don't get on the field as much as they want as a freshman or something like that they have the resilience to really make it so uh, because they're in the right place so something's going to go well for them on that campus every minute so that that's the the business side from a parent standpoint we do some things with colleges and staff training and compliance things like that but realistically that's i think the biggest part of our business and we're really excited to help individual families and uh, talk about really what are the right, to me it's really about what are the right questions to ask. You know, it's not so much about the answers, it's the
0: questions. Okay, man, absolutely. So welcome to the show. And just repeat one more time the name of your company and Sorry. clarify that you don't just look at soccer, right? You, you do
1: any sport? We do all sports. Uh, as a college soccer coach, most of my friends are soccer coaches. Uh, We have advisors, uh, John Windham, who coached not only college basketball, really high-level high school sort of prep basketball, uh, but also coached professionally in Sweden and some other places. So he brings an amazing amount of uh, basketball knowledge, John Wyndham. We've got an advisor who was a a world-class track coach. We've got an advisor who was an All-American in Division I men's soccer so we have a really broad base uh, we've worked with kids in rowing and tennis and all kinds of sports uh, business is college athletic advisor our website is collegeathleticadvisor.com we'd love to talk to you you know outside of the show okay thank you all right so the w- thank you for that so
0: the way we're going to tee this up first of all is just give us a broad um understanding of the various divisions and the various pathways um that someone can play college and go to school from a fifty thousand foot view and any nuance that's that's around that. So you remember I asked you before and I wasn't a hundred percent clear on this, just because a school has a you know a division one football program doesn't necessarily mean that they have a division one soccer program. So just again the big picture what are the divisions what are the pathways available and any nuance there?
1: Okay well first of all so the, the NCAA divisions are the schools self-select so if you want to be a Division one school you're a Division one school there's Division one schools that have 50,000 students and there's Division one schools with 2,000 students so and in fact actually if you're a Division one football school, your soccer team your basket you're Division one there's like oh. 12 exceptions to that based on Like Johns Hopkins is division three, but they're division one in lacrosse. There's some really weird exceptions. There's also a couple sports like ice hockey where there aren't enough teams to have three divisions. So there's some, some nuance there, but basically the the key is to remember that, you know, if you want to be a division one student athlete, I can get you a full ride today. You're just going to have to go to Mississippi to do it to someplace you probably don't want to go to school. So you know, there's division one women's soccer programs that don't field 11 players every game. So there's opportunity there. And I think people tend to look at it like, okay, division one's the best, division two. And in, in football, where the division one teams have 88 scholarships, that's true. Like, it'd be da- a division one team playing a division three team would be dangerous. Uh, in soccer, the division one schools have 9.9 scholarships on the men's side. They have, I think, 15 now on the women's side. Uh, know you're carrying a roster of 25 to 30 so you're not giving out you know a full ride so division one two three i think that's a division one is uh you're allowed to give up to 15 scholarships and the expectation is that the school is using athletics as a marketing tool and they're subsidizing student education division three you're not allowed to give any athletic money and those are schools where kids wanna to go to those schools regardless of whether they get an athletic scholarship. That's why you're in Division Three, And so they recruit and they give aid and athletics is not an explicit piece of that puzzle. That doesn't mean they don't give tons of aid. It doesn't mean they're not super affordable, but they're not gonna call it an athletic scholarship. There's some great values in Division III uh, and, and some of the best colleges in America. And I think, you know, to give an unsolicited plug, I think the best conference in college sports is the University Athletic Association, and it's in Division Three. and those kids fly, you know, while the Division One kids are on a bus from University of Missouri, Kansas City, UMKC to Western Illinois on a weekend and then taking a 15-hour bus ride to Youngstown or something, uh, the kids in the UAA are flying to Boston and New York and then flying back to St. Louis or something or down to Atlanta to Emory. Um, it, it's a really nice league to play in. The colleges all have billion-dollar endowments, spectacular facilities, great coaches, um, and if they want you as a student, they'll make you—they'll make it as affordable uh, there as it will be at any Division One school. Uh, Division Two schools are, are schools that are kind of in the middle. They need—they feel that they need athletic scholarships to recruit students, so they give money, but they're giving money. Uh, and the NAIA works the same way. They give money to make money. You know, like no matter how big a scholarship I give you, you can't put it in a Coke machine and get a Coke out.
0: Yeah. So they give, so let's unpack that though. So they give you, in addition to your, say, for room and board and financial aid, that goes straight back to the college, effectively giving you free tuition. They're also giving you stipends as well.
1: Um, okay. So division, uh, division one in some of the conferences, they have what are called cost of attendance scholarships. Okay. So in theory, they could give you money to go towards cost of attendance. So like that's, that can be like ordering pizza, right? So it's like a full, so let's talk about a couple definitions. One of them is a full ride. You hear that all the time. I got a full ride. Okay. Okay. A full ride means the college paid your tuition, your room and board, your books, your fees. You don't pay anything to go to college. In football, if they give you a Division I football scholarship, if you sign with Alabama or Auburn or Troy or North Dakota State, you're a Division I football full ride kid. You don't pay anything. And then they're allowed to give you up to the cost of attendance, which means that there's a little bit of a cash stipend on the end of it. If they, if they choose to give it. A full ride, each school defines a full ride a little bit differently. Most schools still don't give that cost of attendance, but there are, like the Big Ten does give them. Uh The other headcount sports are basketball, men's and women's basketball. In other words, if you get a scholarship to play for a Division One basketball team, you're getting a full ride. The other headcount sport is volleyball, women's, vo- women's volleyball. Beyond that, Every other NCAA sport soccer, lacrosse, rowing, uh, golf, tennis, uh, trying to think of some of field hockey, you name it, they're all what are called equivalency sports. And in those sports, and, and obviously one we're really focused on right now is soccer, there are very, very few full rides. I used to tell people if every co- if colleges were giving out the number of full rides that parents claim they are, there wouldn't be any colleges in the United States. It'd all be bankrupt. Like it, it, it's just insane. In soccer, there's very very few full rides. It's certainly, the real full rides. And in fact, there's a junior college league where they max the their schools are only allowed to give two thirds tuition, and that's it. And they call that a full ride. It's literally an institutional decision to lie. I don't understand it. I think it's silly. Parents can't have to avoid falling for that kind of thing. It's very clear, to me anyway, like the, the full ride is, is a freebie. Colleges are not in the business of giving those out. For soccer, you're probably going to pay. So the best advice, if you're really worried, I had a parent ask me as a college coach, I said, well, what's my ROI on this club soccer stuff? And I, I, it took me a minute to even understand what ROI meant you know, to be honest, then I looked at, you know, if you're looking for ROI, take that money, you need to take your kid out of soccer and put it in test prep. Because colleges, I tell this to parents all the time, colleges give out $200 million a year in athletic scholarships. That is a lot of money, right? Mm -hmm. They give away $2 billion with a B of academic aid. They're in the academic business. Like the better your grades, if you want to know the secret to getting a college scholarship to play soccer, the better your grades, the better your options, the higher a likelihood you're going to get a scholarship. If I have a fifty thousand dollars scholarship budget in Division Two, which is what I had at, well, uh, actually, I think it was thirty thousand dollars at Pueblo or thirty-five thousand for an entire team, right? So I had thirty-five thousand dollars in cash, and I needed to recruit twenty-five players with that thirty thousand dollars. Like who do you recruit? Well, who's got the, who's going to get the maximum academic scholarship. I can tack a thousand bucks onto that. And now it's almost free. Yeah. And I go, Hey, it's almost a full ride, right? 90% of it's academic, but I'm at it, Like I got to the end of the year and I had like $5,000 left over. And we had a roster of 30 something kids. Cause we just, and the other part is if you're a college coach, you know, if, if kids don't go to class or they don't do well academically, somebody's going to yell at you eventually you know, if you're at a reasonable college. Why not recruit people who want to go to class? Then you don't have to follow them around. I mean, you know, then you can focus on the soccer. And the kid, on the women's side particularly, you know, the women who are good students are the ones who are really dedicated athletes too, mostly. There's not, on the guy's side, there are men who compartmentalize. So there are male student athletes who are tremendously committed soccer players and are not tremendously committed students. On the women's side, I think it's a little bit, for whatever reason, it doesn't seem to work that way as much. Okay, so
0: I'm glad you touched on the ROI piece. And I've been saying that, my background's in finance as well, that if you're doing this for that, I think you're totally, totally in the wrong reason. That's not to dismiss the real life benefit of receiving a college scholarship at the end of the day. But yeah, I just don't think that's the right framework to think about it. Absolutely. Now, but one thing I also do want to unpack is, and we hear this quite often, that you start getting into the two, one, two, three percent range of folk, of high school athletes who actually receive college scholarships. Beyond the obvious, what does that look like on the ground? And what I mean by that, and let me just tell you from the parent trainer's perspective, they're saying, okay, I'm working with my kid. academically. I got them in Kumon. I got them in uh, Khan Academy. We're doing all this stuff. So we're just killing it academically, right? That's what you'll typically hear with these alpha parents. And then we we are doing a lot of the practice stuff. We got them in some of the best clubs. We're doing all these personal trainers and we may even working with them And, and folks will have a view on whether or not that's healthy. But for the purposes of this, we're just explaining sort of a typical Alpha parent in these club soccer environments. So when they hear the 2% range, no matter how unrealistic the odds are in their minds, they may be saying Um, yeah, but I'm doing something that only that less than 2% of the population is doing or I know a kid who wasn't nearly as talented as my son who got our daughter who got a full ride. And so I want to understand, is there any friction in that number? Is it just super hard? Like, man, just forget about it. Or what
1: are we talking about? Okay. I don't think that it's, first of all, there's, you know, there's, there's in some ways in college athletics, there's as much as there's a seat, there's a butt for every seat. There's a seat for every butt. You want to play soccer in college? You can Like, It's true that only 5% of the student athletes who are women go from high school to college and play. But a lot of that's by choice, right? So to me, the biggest piece, if you want to talk about, how do I make sure my kid's in that 5% or 3% or whatever? The biggest piece of that is when they turn 18 and they leave the house, they have to want to keep playing. If you don't do that, they're going to be part of the 95%. And so there's, there's kids in that 5% who did all those alpha parent things. And there's kids in those 5% whose parents did none of those things. And at the end of the day, to me, the big piece is, you, those are all tools, right? Like Kumon or parent training. Those are tools. If you have a hammer, you can use it to build a house or you can destroy your bathroom, right? Either I've way. I've done both. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> I, I try to avoid either of those things. <laughs> That's the best advice. But, uh, my, my, my rule is like, make sure before you pick the hammer up, you have some idea how to use it. Yeah. Uh, you know, like people, you get that a lot. Like people want to get out of their lane, you know, and they like, I, I'm like, there's things, there's tools I really know how to use. I use those tools. The other tools I, I either have to figure out how to, how to learn how to use them or you know, it's better to let an expert do it. So, so we were so just let doing me, some
0: construction. So,
1: so let me interject and give some teeth to this. Three
0: different, three, three or four different types of kids. One plays at quote unquote the academy. One child plays at the equivalent of what I think they call it ECNL or that second sort of tier. And then one only plays high school. All three of them fit into that profile of this is what I want to do. I want to play college soccer and my grades for the purposes of this are good. What are you, oh, let me, let me actually, let me say your, your parent and your child is in a ninth grade and they come to you and say, man, do I really need to get them into the academy and get them to the top team in order for them to have a shot at college? Or can I just, they're, they're enjoying their high school. Can I just do that? Or do I at least need to do ENCL so they can get on the circuit, but still be able to play their college, play high school for their high school duration? What are you telling them? Are you saying, and I'm going to tee it up like this so you can get a perspective of what's in our mind. Are you saying to them, um, and I'm going to use some extremes, what I hear on social media, if you're not in the tournament circuit and you're not – you know, going to all these key tournaments and doing all these college ID camps as well, which I'm kind of mixing a few things in there. Yes, anything is possible, but you're severely hurting your chances. And then I heard, you know, on another extreme is put the ball in the back of the net, prevent people from putting the ball in the back of the net, and they'll find you. So kind of where, where, what are you seeing out there?
1: Well, I think it's really important to be a little bit strategic. You know, that I, I don't think, look, if you're playing, whether you're playing in the, there's no more DA, so that's done, right? So yeah. there'll be some version of that at some point. ECNL, uh, to me, the DA and the ECNL are kind of the same. Like, if you're playing at that level, you're going to be in front of a lot of college coaches. So you, you're you paying a lot of money. And in return, you can be a little bit less strategic because college coaches are going to see you. They're probably going to contact you in some way, either a mass email or uh, camp invitation, come to my ID camp. Uh, So you'll have opportunities sort of brush up against college coaches because of where you're playing. If you're, I think just high school soccer, um, you know, we, we advise kids to at least be strategic. You know, if you're looking, it depends. If you play high school soccer and you're having, you know, you're playing on a good team and you're getting a good experience and you're working at it, it's still only three months most places, Right. So it's pretty tough. You can't go to school three months a year and go to Harvard, you know. Uh, You're going to have to find some way to train and play on a continuous basis. And your high school coach is probably going to be encouraging that. And so I don't think, you know, doing nothing nine months out of the year and playing three is not a great development strategy. You know, for anything, it's not how you get good at math or English or anything. So playing at some level, I think is important. Uh, If you're playing at any level, I think any, certainly any competitive level, you want to play somewhere where the teams at least train in an organized way on a weekly basis. You know, maybe you don't make every practice, but some some training that's not, uh, some training that's, that's legitimate and helps you develop and playing games against other players who are at similar athletic levels to you, or maybe about, you know, you always want to play up, right? If you're playing up, you're going to develop. So... You know, finding some level, I don't think you have to play in the ECNL at all, but there's lots of local leagues and things like that. College coaches aren't going to explicitly come and see you, but you can then be strategic and I think uh, find your way into that 5% without being at a big disadvantage. Okay, so I'm going to
0: summarize my understanding of what you're saying. You can clarify, and then we're going to dovetail into the next portion, which is like those, those tangible steps you would tell someone who's in the ninth grade and is someone who has young kids like mine. So, so yes, if you're only playing high school, you really need to look for other opportunities competitive, not only just from a, you know, soccer development perspective, but to give you some exposure as well. But if you're a parent, don't stress out too much. If you're on the B team, when you think your child should be on the A team, because they're going to be a plenty, there are going to be plenty of opportunities there. Just focus on your craft in that regard, and still we always have to remember that even if you are completely lights out and you're doing everything, you're still chasing you know a minuscule amount of money versus the academic, uh, the potential for academic scholarships.
1: Is that fair? Well, I think the the money goes, the money is going to go uh, to students who are I think strategic and intelligent in their college search. If you're the right fit for the school, you're going to get funded. So. The school is bigger than your soccer talent. So if you're in the top 25 soccer players in the United States, you're going to get a full ride for soccer. And it doesn't, and you have a different problem. You don't need either of us. Yeah. Everybody else, you know, you're a good soccer player and you want to be someplace where you're going to get the, get a great education and where you want to be. You know, I I coached at some places uh, that were very rural and, you know, most people didn't want to live in a town of 800 people for four years in the middle of northeastern Missouri, for instance, um, and where the internet doesn't really work that well, and your cell phone doesn't work that well. And, um, maybe it wasn't a super attractive place to be. There's other, you know, I was also at uh, Oxford of Emory. A lot of people want to go to Emory, right? Like down in Atlanta, $6 billion endowment. They got a law school, medical school, world-class museums. I mean, uh so those are, you know, if you're a great fit for Emory, being a good soccer player helps, right? If the coach wants you, that's going to get you into school. It's going to get you the best shot you can position. You're going to get specific help positioning yourself for the best aid package you can get. We went head-to-head with Auburn recruiting a kid. So they're Division One and they're offering an athletic scholarship, and it was an easy sell for us. Uh, to get her to come to Oxford or Emory. The conversation was really so, look, the cost is going to be about the same. Emory has a huge uh, discount policy for students they really want. You're, you're going to pay the same to take that Auburn Division I scholarship as you're going to pay to go to Emory, right? We're not calling it an athletic scholarship. It's not an athletic scholarship, but it's going to cost you the same. Which degree is going to set you up in the future? Which education is going to set you up for life and by the way, where are you going to have more fun playing soccer? And Selena thought, you know what? I think Oxford of Emory is going to be where it's at. And she played in a national championship game. And you know wow. who's never played in a national championship game? An Auburn kid.
0: <laughs> oh, that, and you know what? That is a great story. And that's a good segue into the next point. And I want to dig into these details. When does the recruiting process start? and what are you telling what are the key steps that you're telling parents just before that process starts and then and we probably can have some back and forth before that and then what are you telling parents of young kids like mine like i have in terms of how we should think about it right and we know the college. i mean things change i mean we're in the middle of covid now but yep. big building blocks how what have you seen you know, parents get right? What have you seen they get completely wrong? What's in, in between and just what advice would you have? So let, I did an internet search on some of the steps. Let me read off some of the steps I searched. Then you kind of tell me what you think. And then, um, and then we'll dig in a little deeper. So some of the steps I read was understand your ability and where that matches up in the division one, two, three cycle, right? Or categories. Then you got to gather inf- your own information, your own transcripts, and all that kind of stuff, and your highlight videos as well. We might talk about that and your stats. Yep. Then the next step they said is start communicating with coaches. And I actually don't know exactly what that nope. eligibility. This particular article eligibility, campus visits, and other. So we don't want to go into the weeds, but I do want to, for someone who's not familiar with this, what are some of the major ways people lose eligibility and not realize it if there are any. And then the last one was evaluate offers. And this one was puzzling to me because of, because before we had this conversation, I I was thinking the same thing. If you get a, I thought they just show you money and you decide if you want to go, but there is an evaluation process in the fine print of each scholarship offer.
1: absolutely
0: and I didn't have any appreciation for that uh when I read this article so again understanding your you touched on this in terms of understanding the big landscape uh, but is it but, but what you have effectively said is yes your talent is and a very important component of trying to get an athletic scholarship But there are more drivers in determining which division you settle on and what makes a good fit. But let me ask you another question, though, another way. When you give me some uh, uh, an example, and I'm kind of throwing a lot at you, of of not being a good fit. I I see like for me, when I when I decided to go to college, I knew and I went to Morehouse College, by the way. I knew I wanted to go to college in a city that I would like to live in. I kind of knew that. And part of the reason I knew that, or came to that conclusion, is because I grew up in a small town. And I knew I didn't want to go to another, you know, country town. I grew up in a very small town in South Carolina. I didn't want to go to another country town and go to college. So I knew that about myself. What I don't know, because I wasn't a collegiate athlete, athlete is how Morehouse would have teased out that I wanted to be in a major city. And so, if I'm talking to a coach, how do they teach that? And then I don't know what fit looks like in, in other contexts. So just understanding, you got to understand
1: your ability. And then I got so many questions on this. Yeah, is there's there a, there's a, a lot to unpack. Line? I feel like I feel like we ought to break it up a little bit because this is this is getting to be yeah. You know. No. The whole... So,
0: <laughs> in terms of choosing the right college, is there a bright red line that you start thinking about Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three? No. And then what are know. the other things you look at in terms of fit as so, a first step?
1: Okay, so when we talk about fit, we have – and we have our, our website – I mean, we have an entire website for this, collegeathleticadvisor.com. We have a college fit assessment tool. You take about five minutes. It's mostly pictures because people hate reading, right, and they don't want to type. So it's all pictures to try to suss out a little bit of an understanding of what, you know, what you're looking for and what makes a good fit for you. And you put in your GPA, if you have test scores, you put that in Uh, and we're gonna have to update it because now we're in the test optional world. So that's hopefully going away. Gosh, none too soon, only a hundred years wasted. And uh, you know, that fit piece is so important. You wanna be uh, someone, you're a whole person. I think the other part is, I always used to say as a college coach, People know more about the $5,000 beater car they're going to buy to go to school than they do about the $200,000 education they just signed up for. And that's true across the board. They understand the finances of that car loan better. They understand how the car works better. They know their options. A lot of kids kind of, you know, like they sign up for the first college they visit sometimes. And you're like, what are you doing? You didn't buy your car that way you know what, what, this is a huge life decision. It's hugely consequential. The other side of it is, I think it's real. you talked about, oh, understand your ability. If you figure out how you can do that, man, I want to talk to that person who knows how to help people understand their own ability relative to mm-hmm. divisions. Because <laughs> I, I don't know how you do that. As a, as a person individually, like the, I was in a session for college consulting, they talked about emotional intelligence and they said people that you know there's like one to five being emotionally uh, poor at understanding your emotions and then very skillful in managing your emotions and they said there's zero correlation between your self-reported score and how you test out as actually being good or bad with emotional intelligence I think soccer ability is very similar like is if you can you know I mean, I've talked to kids who wanted to play in division one. and felt like coming to our division one cause at was green Bay briefly. And, uh, we, we talked to kids all the time. We're like, I'm, I want to go to green Bay. I'm good. I think I'm good enough to play in division one. And, you know, like they were, they were not at all like good enough for our program. And in fact, they weren't particularly capable of playing at any level. And, uh, so, so, the self awareness, I think, is really if you, the people who are really like, if you talk to people like when they take a test, tell me whether you got 100% on this test. One of the groups of people that's pretty sure they got 100 are the kids who got a 20. Like the kids who flunked the test, they're more confident than the kids who got a 90 because they um, they just think they aced it. They don't know. They're, they have no idea. So, I, I think it, getting feedback and listening to that feedback is really important. I think people, and I think looking at the divisions, I know people look at it as a pyramid. I I would suggest also looking at it. And and there's kids who are just like, I wanna play division one. You know, I saw the Big Ten network on TV, I wanna play Division One. Uh, and I get that, but you know, I try to I, I really do say, look, if you wanna play Division One, I, I can get you a full scholarship, but you're gonna lose every game and you're gonna to go to school in a town of a thousand people where you don't wanna live. So how's that sound? And they go, well, I didn't want that division one. And you're like, okay. And then they get a call from some Division Three school, you know, that's a beautiful school that's elite, you know, like say University of Chicago and uh, women's soccer coach, Amy Reifert's tremendous. And they talk to you. and then they're like, Oh, I'm going to play, I'm going to play for University of Chicago. You just told me you're going to play division one. What just happened? Right? Well, the kids at University of Chicago all could play division one. They're great. It's a great program. They have a great coach. They have great facilities. They fly better places than the ACC schools. Some, some weekend they're flying to play Brandeis in Boston and the poor kids at Florida state have to go to Syracuse, like in late October, nobody wants to live in Syracuse in late October. So, you know, I, there's a, that part of the deal in terms of the college search, we have a terrific tool. It's called our dual track timeline. So college athletic uh, you can click on it or backslash dual track timeline and you'll get there. And you can see ninth grade, this is what you need to do. Tenth grade, this is what you need to do. And you can click on the links. When you're a sophomore, you really need to to create that free account with the NCAA Eligibility Center. If you're looking at AI schools, you can start filling out their eligibility center platform uh, so that you can make sure you're eligible. Uh, The NCAA has a free guide for college-bound student-athletes that they update every year. Uh, You can go through our website and download it. You can go to ncaa.org. It's a lot harder to find on the NCAA site. If you go to our dual track timeline, there's a direct link um, and download that. The biggest thing is make sure you're taking college prep level classes. The big reason kids are ineligible is they don't take, you know, four years of high school, college prep, English, math, social studies and science, right, that's, if you're doing those things, if you're passing five college prep classes every semester, then you're on track and you're probably gonna be okay. That's the that's the biggest piece, you know, like freshman year, kids get themselves in trouble because they think, well, I'll just take journalism. I don't really like English or something like that. And that's an area where that's a problem.
0: OK, so to understand that. And thank you. Number one is sort of listening to folks and really getting feedback so you can have an honest assessment of yourself and then use use tools and folks we will link that in the show notes that help you narrow down these hundreds, if not thousands of opportunities, so that you have a more focused search. And then get your own house in order in terms of getting your AP classes, working with your guidance counselors in that regard. And then you also have a, 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 a tool that gives folks step-by-step guidance based on where they're at in their matriculation. And so that's important as well. And we'll link those uh, notes in the show notes. So those links in the show notes. so. Brilliant. So we've That's not awesome. spent too much time. Yeah, so we, because each person is going to be different. So there's no concrete advice we can give specifically on that other than explore these resources for your best ability to help you out with your own individual situation. In terms of eligibility, we talked about academic eligibility. Let me go to an extreme on that. You make all A's, but you don't take AP courses.
1: What, what, what are we talking about? You don't have to take the AP classes, but you do have to take full high school college prep ready classes like English 9, English 10, the the quote unquote regular classes where you can't, if if there's remedial English, like you got to make sure you also get three years of high school English.
0: Okay. for division
1: one, there's a pacing. You have to take a certain number of those college level, college prep level high school classes. And your high school has a list on the NCAA website and your guidance counselor in your high school, the school counselor has a list. Of for, a parent,
0: for a parent who has a younger child is this not something is this like super obvious or something that actually you can legitimately make a mistake
1: on is i think that uh i think you can make a mistake you know you, if the if the school counselor isn't really thinking about athletics i think that a kid who has learning disability or something like that can get caught up and left behind okay so it's really so important just to be aware of it it's not a big deal it's not hard to manage it's just one of those pieces of information that if parents have when they get into ninth grade, maybe really start paying attention to middle school to make sure you kind of your kids lined up for those uh, high school level classes, or that you have a plan in place. You know, if you have an IEP or something, colleges will work with that, the NCAA will work with that, but it needs to be documented and it needs to be you need to be aware of those things before before second semester senior year is, is and you're like,
0: oh lord. <laughs> okay. All right. So we move along. All right. So now you've done that, now it's time to start communicating to college coaches. And this, you know, again, I'm always on, I'm on social media and we have a lot of sophisticated parents who have older kids. And it just amazes me with all the knowledge they have. But for our parents who have a little younger kids or just starting a process, I actually thought about this before the interview. I actually don't know what what are the first steps. So. What is the first thing you do in order to make contact with a coach?
1: Uh, To me, the first, well, the first thing is wait till you're in high school. Please don't send an email to coaches when your kid's in seventh grade. I got an email one time, the kid listing the child's projected height. Oh God. I said, we're five, we're six years from graduation the biggest thing you can do for that young kid in terms of college soccer and going – is you want to inspire that child. Like, if that child loves playing – Jen Grubb, you know, played on the U.S. national team, won a national championship in Notre Dame. Her parents had a rule, you know, like before dinner, you got to knock the ball 500 times off the garage. You know, you got you to gotta each in step 500 times. That rule didn't exist to make her do it. It was a rule so that she would stop. Like, <laughs> She goes otherwise, she just would have done fifteen hundred, so if you 've got your kid in that if that kid is in that boat where they just want to do it you 're set like that's that 's the goal when you 're a parent coach. to me, you know you talk about, oh, I want my kid to be a pro or this or that. all those things are great. The process piece is are they excited to play are they are they do they look at that as something that they really enjoy doing if they enjoy it? and they want to get better at it, you won't be able to stop them. They'll do it. They'll, and, and your training and the team's training, you know, so many American soccer players only train three times a week for two hours of practice. Well, that is not going to cut it. Like in Europe or wherever, kids play, they play all the time, right? Yeah. There's somebody in their backyard doing stuff, whether it's with you or a trainer or however you do it, to me, the measure is when the personal trainer leaves, when you finish your training sessions, your kid like, man, I think I'm going to stay out here and do another 15 minutes before I come in. Exactly. If that's happening, man, you're doing it right. So I
0: love that. I feel like you're talking to me personally. No, no, I love that. Walk me off the ledge. Walk me off the ledge now. Because I think I would <laughs> be that parent sending in my, uh, ult- my wife's ultrasound just to uh, UCLA to see what happens. All right. So we have established that, which is actually, because I'm going to bring you to a question I have that kind of hints on that. Important to understand, you know, seventh grade, sixth grade, you know, we see the AAU channels on YouTube where we see Nick Saban offers this, you know, 155-year-old, 150-pound, 150 five-year-old, 150 pound five-year-old uh, uh, athletic scholarship. But the rule of thumb is. Do do not approach them before the appropriate age.
1: Yeah, I think before high school. I, look, Lucy, You know, Nick Saban can offer that kid, and it's great social media. And you know what? You know what his. You know what his exposure is for that scholarship? Zero. They offer, yeah. you know, and and they honestly they offer 120 kids, 30 scholarships, and 50 kids say yes, and then they got to narrow it down. Oh, so uh, there's a whole. Dirty deal with college football that, you know, let's not get into it. But the, the stuff, it makes great heartfelt Twitter, but it's, you know, it is what it is. Okay. So,
0: so now when, it, when do you, when do you communicate with college coaches? What are the ways of communicating with college coaches and what does that look like? And let me say this, for example, my coworker's daughter actually got a um, scholarship to UNCC for basketball. And I remember she used to go to a lot of these ID camps. Now, that wasn't the first time she communicated with college coaches. And that's my question to you. But I know that was one uh, avenue that I want to talk to you about. And here's another thing that, and they were really hardcore into it, because our daughter is, I think, is only one. So that you can imagine, they were really hardcore. But the coaches, they used to text a lot. And so just, again, we don't want to get into the weeds, but just thinking about communicating with college coaches, what are the, some of the big no-no's yeah, think, and stuff.
1: Look, college coaches are going to meet where you're at. And what recruiting is going to look like in eight years probably hasn't even been invented yet. Yeah. Imagine eight years ago talking about Twitter <laughs> uh, or social media. You, know, you weren't allowed to use social media as a coach eight years ago. Now, um, you know, to me, like in terms of initial contact, you can't contact coaches till you have some idea to narrow down the list of schools. There are, for women's soccer, there's 1,800 women's soccer programs in the United States. There's fifteen or 1,600 men's soccer programs in the United States. There's about 1,000 NCAA ones, 1,200 NCAA programs. Uh, that's a lot. You can't go to that number of schools. Uh, I can tell you the story of the kid who CC'd every single Division II coach on the email. Dear coach, like nobody, you don't want an email that CC's 200 people, right? If I send you an email as a college coach, dear player, we're really interested in you, and you can see I emailed a thousand people. Like, what are you going to do with that? Yeah, delete, right? Coaches work the same way. Like you, you can't start your college search until you know enough about yourself to narrow the list. So, for women sophomore year is pretty critical um you know if you're a national team and all this is like if you're a national team player it's a year early right because it's super competitive and you know but but that's a you're talking about 20 kids if you're not in that group sophomore year for on the women's side i think you've got to start thinking about it on the men's side you know junior senior year you're fine boys aren't very good at that kind of like picture yourself when you were. When you're 15, could you picture yourself at Morehouse or on a college campus? Like, what would that, you know, like, that's just not a quality conversation. So there's all, and the other thing is, everybody's going to tell you, "Oh my gosh, you're late." The reality is, uh, it's kind of like I was in a, a guy was talking about climate change, and people were saying, "Well, it's too late or too early." He said, "You know, if you start now, it's just in time." Yeah. So. You know, if you start as a sophomore, that's just in time. If you're, re- you're not ready to really think about it till you're a junior, you're fine. You're just in time. Colleges will say, oh, well, we're, we've, we've verbaled, we're full on the women's side, particularly. Um, but you know what happens with those verbals? People change their mind. And then the coach has money. And then the coach does need a new. And so if you've been talking to them and you're interested in the school and you're a good fit, it's funny how money comes open for those kids. You know, uh, it's funny how opportunity comes open. And I think the the biggest piece there is like to be patient. Once you have time to evaluate for yourself, you know, what. once you can make a list of 20 or 25 colleges that you'd really like to seriously explore, that's when it pays to start to communicate with coaches. Because you need to write an email to that coach that indicates why that's one of the schools and I think your chances of getting a response, if you say, hey, I'm really interested in your, uh, you, have, you have a program building, you know, exceptional biomedical engineers. And that's a great fit for me. And I have the soccer background, I think is a good fit. That you're gonna get an answer 100% of the time. All right, so thanks, you. So what role
0: does networking work? And let me give you an example. I'm in the I'm in the uh, Durham Chapel Hill area now. Duke University offers these summer they call them summer camps for high school prospective high school coaches uh, prospective high school uh, athletes and college athletes. But there's two things going on: it's a quasi recruiting and then quasi. Doing something for the community. And I, I think the kids who know it's recruiting know, and the ones who don't know, I don't know exactly how it works. Again, I'm piggybacking on my coworker's daughter who played at elite level. And there was a former friend of mine who was a, a Duke basketball uh, player who also worked at that clinic. So I, basically what I'm saying is my co-worker was effectively explaining, yeah, you need to go to these camps because you get an opportunity to work with these coaches. And so then you're not necessarily cold calling because they've seen your face.
1: Mm -hmm. How much of
0: that plays into it?
1: You know, once again, if you can narrow your search down to like the schools you're really interested in, it's definitely worth picking a couple schools and going to their ID camp. I think you also, as best you can, you want to suss out. Some colleges are running those camps just as fundraisers. The coach isn't really involved that much. They send their players out. They don't really care that it doesn't really help you that much. Uh, there's other schools where that's the primary recruiting thing. Like if you haven't been to their camp, they're probably going to be unlikely to recruit you. Okay. So it, some of it is sussing the coach out. I think one tip is the cost. If it's a standard camp cost, they're probably trying to make money. If it's like 25 bucks, they're recruiting. Yeah. You know, and I think there's a lot of that. Like, and I think a lot of times just literally picking up the phone and asking the coach, Hey, tell me about this ID camp. No, they'll, they'll pretty much tell you what the purpose is. You know, okay, most most coaches are pretty honest. So I'm going to
0: ask you a crazy question, but it is what it is, and we're in the no judgment zone. Now, when we start talking about those younger ones, so now we're going to get We're going to go a little bit deeper with the younger ones, and let me remind our listeners what we're listening to. So. My name is Neil Crawford. This is an inside scoop. And this is a the portion of the um, series where we we're calling Raising the Whole Child. And what we're doing is we're going to talk to professionals who deal with this stuff from all the different disciplines. Uh, and right now, this portion of the uh, series is dealing with those outcomes. In this case, those Division One, Division Two, II, Division III uh, scholarship opportunities and playing opportunities. But what's most important and what I'm really hearing is you just happen to apply to this particular uh, area. But I'm also kind of blown away with how complex it is in some respects. This is not your grandmother's recruiting process. And so that's why I brought uh, Dave Morris on. And Dave, you'll remind us of your company um, to kind of help us think through the complexities where things are simple cuz sometimes people make it over complicated and where things are you know you do need someone who's been there done that to help you and a small investment up front just to get your knowledge gap skills up may may have huge dividends in the long run because the last thing you want to do is and I'm going to what you said is maybe you do accept a division 1 scholarship but it's somewhere you don't want to be you're away from ban- family you're not winning you're not it's not a good fit for the school then you end up transferring and, and we all know how that story goes and then worst case scenario would be you play some college and you don't even get a degree so we don't we want to avoid all that and that's why we're doing the raise the whole um, uh series because we also want to give some advice to those parents of younger kids who are just trying to figure all this stuff out even though it may change uh, quite a lot in the future I don't think those building block lessons are, I think those are timeless lessons and I appreciate you sharing them with me. So again, remind us of your company, what you do, how we can get some of these resources. And then we're going to end the show talking about the the young ones and what should parents of young children be
1: thinking about. So, okay, so it's collegeathleticadvisor.com. I'm Dave Morris. Uh, Really encourage you to check out our dual track timeline. If you go to our uh, collegeathleticadvisor.com get started page. You can click on uh, all kinds of free stuff, sign up for a consulting appointment. We have a, our 5A college search model takes you from assessing yourself and what you want and assessing colleges all the way through adjusting. You know, if you have short shortcomings or you need to be strategic about where you, you know, you may need to guest play in a tournament. If you're not on an ECNL team traveling nationally, maybe you need to figure out how to guest play on a, on a team that is gonna be traveling you know, it's probably, you know, we, and there, there is, there's, there's a lot of Googling that goes on and that that's certainly helpful. The reality is, is you get to a point where talking to a expert who's been on 1500 college campuses and knows the lay of the divisions and things. You can't Google everything that I know. know,
0: I'm going to try that though. No, that's okay. So, no. So, all right. So I'm going to throw a weird one out there. I'm, I, my son is 10, you know, uh, and that's at that age where we don't worry too much about what leagues they're playing in, all that kind of stuff. In about two years, we start thinking about that. But even then, it's not really a big deal. But I did have this fleeting thought, what if I sign him up for, um, say, the University of Chapel Hill's uh, soccer camp every year as a way to then start networking with coaches and stuff? Is that, like, completely – and? Hey, no judgment. Is that like completely ridiculous? Cause I'll tell you what I did do. And this is just me. I'm crazy like that. I emailed a coach. It, this is how I came up with the idea. I emailed a coach legitimately asking them about their camp. Cause so- something wasn't clear on my um, on their description. And they were so nice responding to me. And we chatted and I told him about my son and we kind of talked about that. And I thought, oh, isn't that a great way to, if, I wanna, if I'm thinking about these schools in a local area, for my younger one to go when he's like 12 or 13 before he gets to high school to go to the camps, maybe kick the tires, number one. Uh, but but if, it's, if it's put on by, by the head soccer coach, you never know. Is that like completely
1: crazy or, or – No, or- I think every college – look, if you're a camper and you show up every year, that coach is going to know who you are. That's a huge advantage. Like you're the hometown kid, right? Now, the question is, as you get to high school, most of those hometown kids suddenly think, you know, I really love, you know, North Carolina Chapel Hill, but I grew up in Raleigh. What if I lived in Charlottesville for a couple of years? Yeah. You know, how how about UCLA? Like, uh, you know, so it's a, there's a two-sided thing there. I think it's a great way to get to know the coach. The other thing is, I don't know what the percentage of coaches is. We're a little spoiled. You know, if you're in Raleigh, Anson's been there a long time. Yeah, a lot of a lot of these schools change coaches every two, three, four years. So you're going to be networked with somebody, but they may have moved. That's okay. But you know, you got to be aware of that investment if that's what you're thinking
0: when you do. So, in terms of your kid is so we talked about those 25 kids. we'll, we'll just say that one percent of kids who just don't need to worry about it is their 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 talent is just skyrocketing. But do you hear stories of kids being so talented that they go to a non-conventional route like a a summer camp and then they just discovered by the coach or that just doesn't happen that much in soccer?
1: I think it's tougher. I, I I mean, I think in soccer, soccer is so tough to assess. You know, in basketball, like how many nanoseconds do you need to know LeBron James is better than everybody else? <laughs> two seconds, three seconds, two seconds. I mean, Steph Curry, you know the guy is something different, right? Like he steps on the court. After about a minute, you're like, wow, that guy's really good. You don't have to know anything about basketball. You don't know any, like one of these is not like the other, right? In soccer, it's much harder. The field's big. The ball, like kids aren't on the ball as much. Uh you know, it's hard to have an imprint on the game as an individual in that sort of dominating way, uh, even if you're a great player. So, and you're, you can be pulled down. You know, if you, you can be a great player. If the people around you, if your team's not that good, you just get overwhelmed. Uh, the, we recruited a, a young woman when I was in Wisconsin, this girl, Rachel Anderson. Her, I saw her team get beat 11 nothing. I was the only college coach at that game. I'm the only college coach who ever saw that club play. No other college coach was going to sit there and watch that crappy team. It didn't do any good. The other teams in the tournament were so much better. You avoided that team. And I was like walking by and I saw this one kid just running all over the place, killing herself, trying to keep her team from being destroyed. And I was like, I'm going to stay here. I'm going to meet that kid and we're going to get her. She's going to be the per- one of the people we build our program around because I'm coming in and we're new and, program's pretty weak. And, and if I can bring in people like her, we're going to win. And we worked really hard to get her to come. And, you know, so, you know, she was on this terrible club team and everything. And she stood, but that's what, like, I remember that story. I was coaching for 22 years. I got like one of those stories, right? Most coaches have zero. Yeah. like they, You know, it, it does help to be on a team that's competitive or whatever. It's harder to stand out. I think if you go to a camp And you really dominate the camp, like the coach is going to notice. Um, It might not mean that you're ready. Like if you're dominating a session of the University of Illinois camp, the level of the camp might still mean you're not really ready for the University of Illinois. But that doesn't mean they're not going to call somebody. Like, and this happens all the time. Um, You know, they call the coach at Wartburg and say, "Hey, by the way, like this kid, she can't play here, but you know, she could really help you." Uh, I used to do that all, I've done that, you know, constantly as a college coach, like, hey, I saw this kid, she's not interested, I've been to colleges where you, know, you, you had to major, there are only 20 majors, so if you wanted to major in education, you couldn't, or athletic training, or nursing, and so I'd call somebody and say, hey, listen, she's not coming to us, um, or the kid just doesn't want to play for you, or whatever, uh, you know, you should really talk to her, she's really a really good player, and so coaches do share that information, that's really important to do. For a college coach and you know so you go to a camp it's another way to get seen like there's no negative to that it's just a matter of there's only so many weeks there's only so much money and and being strategic about how you do it
0: no that's sound advice so so Dave this has been a wonderful show and and this is how I want to wrap it up and I want to wrap it up in a very visual way in the sense of Trying to understand from your experience what has been the right balance of parent-child interaction in the recruiting process. What is the ideal situation you've seen? I know it's not one. I know it's complicated. But in general, mom and dad come to you. They have a ninth grader. What are you seeing and what are they doing that you're saying yeah, this is going to work out well for this child.
1: I think if you're if you're a parent, I think actually the answer is simple. Coach up your kid. The better your kid is at interacting with adults, the more your child can take the lead. Because I want, if I'm a college coach, I want to talk to your daughter or your son. I'm not. I'm not going to coach you, mom and dad. I'm not going to have to live with you on the road for four years. Like I don't really remember your name. I don't. You know, like I don't really care. I need to know that. I'm going to live with your son or your daughter. That's their life. So coach them up. The biggest thing you do is coach them up. So when you sit down with a college coach, they do all the talking. If they do all the talking, they're going to get offers. They're going to have opportunities. If you're doing all the talking, you know, schools that have options are going to go other places.
0: Okay. And that is great. So Dave, I'm going to, I'm going to um, post this today. Actually, you're, thank you so much. You're the first expert that we've had on raising the whole child. I did not even know all these resources existed. If you see someone sending a customer service request to add it for eight year olds, you'll know that's me. But I just love the fact that that people can look at their, where they're at now and get a, some tangible, actionable takeaways on what they need to be doing. And I'm just gonna summarize a few things i learned there yes, it is possible to be in high school and graduate, but not taking the right classes. So you need to make sure that your guidance counselor and your parents understand what your goals are. Another thing I, I learned is yes, there are divisions and yes, you know, they they you know, talent does have impact on that, but it's far more important to find the right fit that then um, fits into the divisional landscape, especially in soccer. Another thing I learned is, there's just not a lot of money out there relative to the academics. So in terms of raising the whole child and putting your best foot forward, make sure you're coming with the academic um, pedigree as well as the talent. And then know yourself, right? So be completely aware of your, talent level and how you and what people are saying to you and be willing to listen. And that doesn't mean we have a static mentality. That just means if this is your goal, you need to take action steps doing extra training, maybe getting private coaching, shameless plug, maybe using anytime soccer training, but do whatever you got to do to get your skills up to match your goals. Then uh, another tech takeaway was, you know, hey parents, let's take a chill pill. We don't really need to be emailing these coaches necessarily before high school. There are some other non-conventional ways, things you can start thinking about in terms of networking and camps. But in general, let's wait to the high school years to really start contacting the coaches and the recruiters for the simple fact that you have plenty, plenty of time. And there are other things like raising a child and nurturing their fire that are far more important than being the first email in their inbox. Those are a few of the many, many, many takeaways that um, I got, and I really, really appreciate this. I learned a lot as a parent. So Dave, I'm gonna um, end with you just telling us again your website, um, and then we're gonna post it in the show notes as well, but thank you so much.
1: Well, hey, I really appreciate it, it's a privilege. I've learned a lot. These are great questions. Uh, so before, I wanna finish with one other thought. You know. I, after games, after competition, after training, you know, your, your child get most of the time you get in a car. Right. And, uh, to me, like the biggest thing a parent can do in terms of development is, you know, if you're a resource for your child to sort of decompress and they can ask questions and they can help, you can help them process the experience they just had and see, you know, let they can, they can control that process and they can think about what they've done and, hey, this went really well, or I was really challenged by this, or this made me feel good or bad, and share with you, you know, that experience, that's amazing. Um, You know, you want to be the parent who's a resource for your child, sort of mentally and physically processing those experiences. uh, Where I think you want to avoid is, you know, we talked about, you don't want to have the kid walk in the car and have ESPN. You know, like nobody wants to do that ESPN interview after they play. Pro athletes, you have to pay them to show up kids don 't want to do it for free they 're trapped in that car. you know if they get out of the, 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 the game or the practice and you 're part of a healthy decompression, maybe the decompression is you know what i don't want to talk about this. I want pizza yeah. all right well let's talk about it. maybe it's not a great idea maybe today 's pizza day i don 't know, but you know those those kind of moments I mean don't miss out on that and and be a resource doesn't mean don't say anything that's not the same thing but you, the more you can build that relationship with your child, the happier you're going to be as a parent, the happier your kid's going to be. And, you know, that's the kid who's going to really enjoy playing and you're going to have to figure out how to stop them rather than start them, which is a, a big deal. So Dave Morris, collegeathleticadvisor.com. Look forward to talking hey, to you. but before you go, you made me think of one more thing
0: and one more point I forgot, which is allowing the kid to drive that college conversation. Do you guys do mock interviews by any chance? we do
1: okay we do mock interviews we do all kinds of training um i don't do test prep personally we farmed that out and i right now we're telling people not to do it but uh in terms of interviewing absolutely we work with people we video we'll, we'll work with videotape and show you this is how you look and um, you know because we want to have, have you put the best put your best foot forward okay so this is dave morris folks with college athletic my
0: name is neil crawford if you haven't collected your free um, ball mastery and juggling videos. I encourage you to check out www.anytime soccer.com. Over a thousand, one hundred percent follow along videos that will help parents teach their child how to train themselves the soccer content covers all the major areas and it's a great way to get that supplemental training in without driving your child crazy again dave thank you so much for a wonderful show guys this is neil crawford let's get better together
1: thank you neil it's been a pleasure